our scripture reading today is from Joshua, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and then 19 through 24. It'll be on the screen behind me, and your Bibles or your bulletins. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did not did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ellie Claire. Well, before we jumped into the sermon this morning, I wanted to just give a brief update on something that's going on, and that is the assistant pastor search process. Some of you guys know that we've advertised already for that, and we're going through that process, uh, but I wanted to make sure that you understood maybe a couple of distinctions between that and the process that you went through to find me as your senior pastor Uh, And the first thing to realize about the process is that for the senior pastor, uh, I was hired and called by you, the congregation, Uh, but for an assistant pastor, they are hired by the elders. They are called by the elders, and so that's one big difference. The second difference is in regard to their role and how they function with our elders. Uh, They are invited to sit with the session, our elders, but they are not a voting member of uh, the session. And so that that really speaks to a difference in role. And it does influence the way that we go about our process uh, to search for this person. Uh, It's not as intense and it's not as involved. Uh, However, uh, we still are following a lot of the same steps uh, that were outlined when you guys searched for my position. And so we've engaged some folks in our congregation uh, to do some interviewing. I've done quite a bit of the initial screening of candidates 
and uh, we will be engaging our elders, deacons, and some other leaders in the congregation along the way. Uh, but we are right in the middle of this process right now, in particular, with an individual. And so I would just ask for your prayers, uh, that God's hand would be upon us and in this process, and that he would affirm and confirm to us and to that person whether God is calling them to minister here at LBC. Okay, so I just wanted to give you a little update on that. Stay tuned for more information uh, that I'll be bringing you in the future on that. Let's take a moment and uh, bow our heads again, and let's go before the Lord and ask for his blessing on this time. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, many of us uh, with mixed feelings, feelings of joy, but also feelings of sadness, Lord. Uh, we give you praise uh, for new birth in our congregation, for the Thompson's baby being born. Uh, we pray that you would continue to strengthen that little one and give, give that one health uh, and vitality at this time. Lord, we praise you for the good news that Mark has, has his uh, green card approved, uh, and it's just a matter of time now of getting that in the mail, and that is just a long-standing trial that, that we've gone through here at LBC, and we see your goodness and your grace uh, upon us in that. But Father, our hearts are heavy this morning as, as we think about those across the state and even in our congregation who have suffered uh, with this storm. Lord God, we don't understand all of your ways or even a fraction of them, uh, but we can only cry out to you as our good, loving Heavenly Father that you would be merciful to the people in Florida uh, and those who have been am impacted by the storm. And we pray especially for those in our congregation who have been displaced and who are having to make repairs on their house. Would you give them grace? Would you give them strength and bring them uh, the resources that they need? And Father, we lift up to you the many folks in our congregation who are struggling with their health. Uh, some who are recovering from surgery and some who are facing surgery even tomorrow. Lord God, you are the great healer. Would you touch our people and give them healing and give them your grace and comfort? And Lord, now as we approach your word, we thank you for this grace that we can hear your word. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you soften our hearts that we may receive what you would have for us? We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, we have a number of traditions in my family, and one of those surrounds the way we celebrate our birthdays. Um, we celebrate our birthdays. It actually starts the night before the birthday. You'll find the Lumshu Chan family at the local Krispy Kreme when the hot light is on, and we are consuming a dozen donuts. That's right. We got six people, so the math works out kind of good for us. Uh, but it's not just for those hot donuts. We're actually accumulating another dozen for the next day in the morning. And so what happens in the morning is uh, we wake up the birthday person uh, with a candle that's lit, stuck in the Krispy Kreme donut of their choice. Uh, we go to the bedroom and shut off the fan usually because the, it'll blow out the candle. Uh, we've got the camera running. We've got, you know, um, phones ready to take pictures and we sing to them, uh, happy birthday. And then we give them a card uh, on which... Uh, this is a handmade card, um, which we write blessings, and we, those of us who are artistically inclined, draw pictures and, and whatnot, um, and that's the way we celebrate our birthday. 
And some of it requires planning, of course, because the birthday person gets to pick um, if, it's, if it's a holiday or if it's uh, a weekend, we get, they get to pick what we get to do that day. Uh, they also get to pick what we're going to eat for dinner. So that takes some effort and planning. And then by the close of the day, before we all uh, go to bed, we gather around again as a family and we surround the birthday person. We lay hands on that person. We go around in a circle and we pray, pray blessings on them for the coming year. That's how we celebrate birthdays. Uh, we celebrate special occasions like that in our family. And we do that. We make a big deal out of it because we want to remember. We want to reflect and celebrate the significance of that event. Well, I know as a husband, for me, there's two things that I have to be super intentional about. Two dates, right? My wife's birthday and our anniversary, right? You, you dare not miss those. But as a nation, we have to be intentional about celebrating holidays as well. And we use ordinary things to celebrate holidays. Think about it. We use barbecue and fireworks to celebrate the 4th of July. We use turkey and football to celebrate Thanksgiving. And at the Lumshu Chan house, we use Krispy Kreme donuts and candles to mark something significant. Well, in our story this morning from Joshua chapter 4, the Lord is going to use 12 ordinary stones to point to and signify something very important. And we're going to see in our passage as we unpack it that these 12 stones are for us they are for our children as well, and they are also for the world. And so I want to jump right into that very first point, that these stones, these remembrance stones are for us. We see this in verses 5 and 6. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. And the first thing to note in these verses is the intentionality, the planning that's required in order to remember. Right? Israel would have to carry large stones, okay? It doesn't say that they're going to stick them in their pockets. It says that they're going to carry them on their shoulders. So these might have been some very large stones, okay? And remember when Scott talked about the Jordan River, it's probably 12 feet at the time. And so they're 12 feet down and have to carry up these stones out onto the riverbank, okay? And our scripture also sa says that there's one representative from every tribe. So that means that all of God's people are involved. So this is, this is not a, a simple thing. This is a momentous thing that requires effort and planning. We also see in our scripture something interesting. It says that Joshua himself also set up stones in the middle of of the river, and that's all it says. And we're left to wonder, well, why did he do that? I mean, scripture doesn't say that God told him to do that as well. But maybe let me suggest it to you this way, that this event, this river crossing for Joshua was something very personal and impactful for him. His emotions were running high. Why was that? Let's look at our scripture. It says in verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Joshua himself maybe was marking this occasion because what he's seeing, if you go back to the very beginning of this series in chapter one, you remember that God said he would be with Moses, 
he would be with Joshua just like he was with Moses. And now it is coming true. Joshua is experiencing the promise of God being fulfilled right at that moment. And so it was very impactful for him as well. Well, we need also ourselves to remember God's work in our life. We need to put effort into that. And why is that? Well, because we too are prone to forget. We're prone to forget. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary on Joshua says it this way, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Right, it's, uh, as modern-day Christians, we, our heads are oversaturated with knowledge about God. It's, it's like our information far outweighs and outruns and exceeds our obedience. We have to remember God's truth. We have to remember his grace. We have to remember his work in our life. And uh, Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary on Joshua, he goes on to use this great illustration of marriage. And he says it this way, that the greatest threat to a marriage is not that outright act of infidelity. Maybe it starts with a slow forgetting and a slow eroding of remembering what it is that we loved and were attracted to in that person. And it's the same way possibly in our faith. What we suffer with is an erosion of God's truth. Well, Israel would forget the God who miraculously cleared the way through the Jordan. Surprisingly, they're going to abandon God. And we see this in the book of Judges, which follows after Joshua. This is what it says. This is astounding. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Now, this, this is a stunning uh, testimony to say, right? God, God did a miracle here, exerted his power over nature, and somehow they forgot the Lord. They forgot him. We, too, also forget the Lord. We forget the Lord every single time we sin, right? Sin is a form of unbelief. It's a forgetfulness of what he has done for us, right? Because we forget that he gave his life, that a person was nailed to the tree, was tortured. Why? So that our sins could be forgiven. It shows us his great love for us, his grace for us, and yet when we choose to sin, we're choosing something over God, it's like somehow all of these great truths that have been in us, poof, we've forgotten it in that moment. We forget, and we choose sin over God. Well, when we have these great reminders of what God has done in our past, it strengthens us for the future, especially if we're going through serious trial or suffering. And surely the people of Israel, when they crossed the Jordan and saw God's great work, they're going to need their faith to be strengthened for what's ahead, right? And they could think to themselves, you know, this God who exerted his power over the raging Jordan, he is going to be with us and he's going to crush the tiny Canaanites, right? 
And so it's the same thing with us. The God who miraculously works in our life to bring us across the Jordan from death to life, won't he be with us in our future trials? And so the question is, as modern-day believers, how do we mark these, these occasions in our life? How do we mark God's powerful work in our life? We can use ordinary things, right? We can use jewelry or tattoos. Some of you, I know, write journals, and you write and record specifically, this is how I saw God work in my life today. Or it may be as simple as putting a date next to a verse in the Bible, okay? But for me, I think of this one example for myself. Um, throughout these hurricanes, I was out and about, you know, cleaning up, and I was walking down my, my driveway, and I saw... Uh, these two giant oak trees in the front of my yard uh, that I just, I just love those things. And I might love them because, you know, two trees is something that's very significant. It's, if you're a Tolkien fan, you know about the two trees of Valinor, right? Um, of course, if you're a student of the Bible, you know the two trees in the garden. You know about possibly the two trees that's, that's talked about in Zechariah or Revelation. And so when I saw these two towering oak trees, um, I just kind of broke down and thought about God's goodness, his faithfulness in bringing us to Orlando and providing for us such a wonderful place far beyond our expectations, uh, something that we don't deserve, and yet he lavished his grace upon us. And so every time I'm going to look at these trees now, I'm going to think about our faithful and powerful God, how he was at work in our life. Well, it doesn't have to be complicated for us as believers. It could be something simple. Like this morning, what we did and the, the ordinary elements of the bread and the wine, a way to remember over and over again the story of the gospel, God's powerful work, what he has done for us. We see it in the sacrament of baptism and ordinary use of water. We see it in a wooden chest with the Israelites. We see it in a wooden cross. We see it in a simple book. And this is what I, I thought about. You know, we have something actually so much far better than the Israelites, right? They had their 12 stones, but we have here God's record of history for us. And I want you to realize this. If you are in Christ by faith, you are children of Abraham. You are of that great family of old that we read about in Scripture and so what does that mean? That means that these stories are our stories as well. This is our family. These are our great, 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 great grandparents in the faith. Those are our family that crossed the river, and they experienced God's power, and we can remember it because we've got the book right here. We have many ways that God has given us to remember his powerful working in our life. Well, let's look at that second point, that these stones are also for our children. We see this in verses 6 and 7. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you're going to tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Now recognize this. There's going to be some of those children who, who are not going to remember this. They were carried over in mom and dad's arms, right? Or they were toddling over, and they're not going to remember what happened, 
right? And so when they grow up, unfortunately, like all of us, their hearts are going to grow hard, and they're going to hear this story maybe of the crossing, and they're going to they're gonna wonder, hey, did that really happen? That, that didn't really happen. I mean, that, that stuff doesn't happen. God doesn't, God doesn't open up rivers like that and hold back waters. And so they're going to need to be reminded. Now, um, in, the, in the Christian world, you may have heard this, that second generation, third generation uh, Christians, they're weaker than the first generation. And so this is what we are speaking to here. Why is that the case? And whose responsibility does God give to make sure that that doesn't happen? Well, he puts it squarely on the parents to teach the children. And one of the beautiful things in our passage here that God is saying is that this is so important to remember that not only I want it to be a sign for you, I want your children to know. I want your children to know about me. The promises that I make to you are for your children. And this is a wonderful truth that we need to grab a hold of this morning, that God doesn't just care for individuals. He cares for our families. He cares for whole families. And that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 can say that the children of believers, even if there's only one believer in the family, he says that they are holy, they're special, they're set apart. There's something about them. They have an advantage. And this is why the Apostle Peter can say in his famous sermon on, in uh, Acts chapter 2, he would say this. After preaching the gospel, he would say, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God makes covenants with his people. You're in covenant with him if you receive Christ by faith, but that promise of salvation is for your children as well. And your children, because they are covenant children, you know what, here's the astounding thing. They have amazing advantage of being in the family of God. Amazing advantage. I want you guys to realize how important that is because if you are a child out there and you don't have believing parents, Guess what? Well, you're not exposed to the preaching of God's word. You're not exposed to the visible sacraments. You're not exposed to the fellowship of God's people. So the question for us as covenant people is, are your children experiencing all these advantages of being in the household of God? Are you taking them faithfully to church? Are you praying with them? Are you telling them the stories of how God has worked in your life and how he has worked in the lives of his people. Well, in 2017, there was a study that was done. It was published by the American Psychological Association. Uh, Professor Joshua Rotman uh, of Franklin and Marshall College, uh, he did this study. He examined the influence of testimony, of stories on the lives of children and how it was used to influence their morality and their values. And listen to what he says. This is what he found. The present research has demonstrated that testimony, a powerful source of cultural learning, can lead children to rapidly acquire moral beliefs. And then they go on to warn parents and teachers, hey, you need to watch out what you say 
to these kids because it can be used in a negative way or it can be used in a positive way to influence their morality, okay? I mean, we, we look at this and it's not really astounding to us. They're just confirming what God already knows is that the stories that we tell our children can be used powerfully in their lives to shape and form their, their morality and especially their faith. And so you know what the greatest stone of remembrance for your children is if you are a parent? It's the testimony of your life. Right? They're like little digital recorders watching, listening to every single thing you do. And they're forming their picture about God, their Heavenly Father, through that. And so the question is, is does your life testify? Is it writing the story of God's grace and of his powerful working in your life? Or is it writing a different story? Well, here's the sad situation that happens for Israel about this. Uh, in Judges chapter 2, it's going to say this. Um, and this, this, this scripture right here, to preface it, is this is what happens after Joshua and that generation all passes away. This is what it says. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How is that? God just parted the waters and all of a sudden we've got a generation that they don't know the work of the Lord they, they don't even know the Lord how did that happen it seems to me it falls squarely on the prior generations that they did not use the opportunity of the stones and other, other signs that God had given them to teach the younger generations one generation to another about the Lord. And so may that not be the legacy that we have for our children. Well, let's look at that last one. The stones of remembrance are also for the world. We see this in verse 24. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so there was supposed to be an evangelistic aspect to these stones. These stones were to witness to God, his power. And we've already seen this. When Jim preached on chapter 2 of Joshua, we saw even before these stones were set up that the story of God's power and his might and his favor towards the, the Israelites was going out into the land. And there was that person, Rahab, who heard the story, she feared, and then she received the Lord. She declared who he was, and she sought refuge in this God and in the people of God. And the sad thing is, is all the other Canaanites, especially in, in Jericho there, what happened? They heard the same stories, right? They got the same text messages and new, news updates, uh, and they did not respond the same way. Our scriptures say that their hearts melted in fear. Melting in fear, but sadly their hearts did not melt and soften to honor and to receive this God. Well, today as modern Christians and today in, in history, God has not left himself without testimony. And even, even though maybe those original 12 stones are no longer there to testify to our God, we have all of the stones of creation. We have all of creation itself that is writing the story of God's divinity and of his power. We see this 
in chapter one of Romans where the apostle Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, and what are they? Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their, in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. God has not left himself without testimony. Even though those stones are no longer there, he has left his testimony written across the sky. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky declares his handiwork. And the question for us this morning is, are you here this morning and you may be the type of person, you see the power of God in nature, you see that hurricane is so much more powerful than any army that can just wreak havoc across the state of Florida. You're in fear of that, but your heart does not melt and soften to honor him as God. Honor him as the one that created everything that created you. Don't be like the Canaanites who feared God's power but did not soften in their hearts towards him. Well, these stones, they're for us, they're for our children, they are for the world. These stones are for us, but they are not about us. These stones are about a God and his unfailing love and his unfailing devotion and care towards his special people. We see this when the ark goes in first to the river and it's the last to leave. Meaning God goes before us in our trials. He is behind us as well. He surrounds us with his care. These stones are for us, but they are not about us. They are about a God who doesn't forget his people. So we, we're prone to forget him over and over again. This is, these stones are about a God who doesn't abandon his people, even though every single time that we sin, we've abandoned him. These stones are about a God whose promises are meant for your children, who are, these promises are sure, they are faithful for your children, even when we fail to teach our kids. And these stones are about a God who continues to write his story across all of creation, even though man continues to reject him. You know, a thousand years later, well, more than a thousand years later, God would enter the Jordan River again. And he would do this ahead of his people. But instead of the waters being parted, the heavens would be opened up. And God the Father would declare and affirm that this is my son. And Jesus, God's own son, would embark on his rescue mission to save a people for himself. Reconciling us to, to, to the Father. How? By laying down his life. And you know, the most miraculous thing, the most the most awesome display of God's power and his care and his devotion towards his people was not the Red Sea crossing. It was not the Jordan River crossing, but it's this, that God's dear son would come, live the perfect life for us, die a cruel death on the cross, and then defeat death on our behalf. And we can just look at the cross. We can look back and remember, look at the simple cross. 
And we see all of the love, his unfailing love and his care for us, and it should strengthen us as we face the future. Would you pray with me? Mighty God and Heavenly Father, what a great privilege it is to worship the King of the universe. Lord, we thank you for your grace that though we fail you often by forgetting you, by sinning, by abandoning, by failing to teach our families, you don't fail us. You are the unfailing God. Your promises are true, they are faithful, and you abide by them. And the greatest promise that you give us is in your son. Lord, thank you for him, that in him we have life eternal. And we pray in his name, amen.